In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as I said at the beginning of the service, today we're continuing our series on the book of Psalms as we take a look at those poems, prayers, and hymns collected together in the book that we now today know as the Psalms. Uh, last week we took a look at Psalm 113, that beautiful psalm of praise and thanksgiving and worship, and we talked about the what, the, the how, the where, and the why of, of praise. Uh, today, though, uh, as you heard it, you probably recognize our psalm is very different, maybe as different as different can be. Psalm 69 uh, that Gilda just read for us is not a psalm of praise, but a psalm of lament. Uh, it's a psalm of pain and suffering. The, the pages of that psalm are almost wet with the tears of King David. And so today, we're not going to talk about praise, but suffering. And we're not going to talk about the what or the where of suffering because I, I think we all know it from experience, but instead we're going to talk about the how. Uh, we're going to talk about how it is that Christian people, people of faith like you and me, suffer well. You know, the truth is that our, our faith uh, ought to change just about every aspect of our lives, doesn't it? Uh, from the way that we think, from the way that we act, from the way that we spend our money and the way that we treat our families and our enemies, our, our faith changes us. And, and if that applies to just about every aspect of our lives, then it, then it most certainly applies to our suffering. As, as Christians, we suffer differently. And so today I'd, I'd like to talk about how, how it is that the people of faith like you and me with our eyes fixed on Jesus, how it is we suffer. And maybe you're here today and you have been suffering. Maybe there's been something big in your life going on, someone you've lost, um, a, a sickness that you're going through personally. But maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, uh, I'm not really suffering. Life is going well. I, I don't have any major problems. Thank you, God. Uh, but but I, I think what we're going to talk about today, what the psalm will teach us, applies to the extremes of both ends, to the very big moments of suffering, to the smallest moments, to those moments of loss and grief and mourning, to the moments just of, of heartbreak, to those little twinges of sadness we get when we watch the news in the evening. And so no matter where you're at in that spectrum, I, I think what we talk about today in regards to our pain and hurt applies to everyone and everything in between. And, and as we talk today, there are four things I'd like to talk about, four ways that Christians like us suffer differently, four things that make us unique as we go through our trials. And uh, as we, we talk about the first one, I want to start out actually by telling you about one of my favorite places in the world. Maybe you can make out this picture. Uh, this is a picture that I took in a, in a place, a trail, a hike called the Narrows. Uh, the Narrows is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Uh, it's out in um, Zion National Park in Utah. Uh, it, it was a beautiful trail. It was about 10 miles long. Um, you can see just a little glimpse of the beauty there. Uh, but the, the, the Narrows taught me an important lesson, and that is that some things in life simply cannot be rushed. And, and let me tell you why the Narrows taught me that. Uh, you can't really tell from this picture, but uh, the Narrows, the entire trail, it's not like the trails around here, like if we were to go to like Deer Grove or something like that, one of the forest preserves with the asphalt, very well manicured trails or crushed gravel or something like that. The, the bedding, the footing of, of the Narrows is actually a river. The, the entire time you're walking down the Virgin River and, and you're walking in this canyon, the canyon that was forged from that river. And, 
And so the Neros taught me that some things in life can't be rushed because when you're walking, you never know with each foot that you put down how your foot's going to land. The, the bottom of, of the river is rocks and they move and they, they shift. And so you're always kind of going slow, checking your footing. You also don't know how deep the water will be. Now you can see there we're, we're on the edge of the river. It's, it's pretty shallow, but in some places the water came up to our necks. We had to carry our bags over our heads and we were trying to navigate where to go, where would be too deep and, and where we could walk. It, it slowed us down. Uh, the other thing about the Narrows is that while I loved it and while I would go back in a second, it was exhausting. It was probably the hardest physical thing I've ever done. I've run a marathon before that was 26 some miles. Narrows was only a ton and yet I think it was twice as hard as the marathon. It was physically exhausting. By the end of it, we were looking to every kind of bend in the river thinking, okay, uh, just around the corner, we'll be done. Uh, but, but there are many of those bends in the river and it taught me that you can't rush things because if we had rushed to every bend in the river, we would have done a lot of rushing for miles and, and miles and miles. Uh, some things in life simply can't be rushed. In the Narrows case, you trip, you'd fall, you end up in water over your head, you'd end up exhausted, maybe lying on the side of the river. And, and that's true of a, a trail like this, but I think it's, it's also true of our suffering. Our suffering is not something to be rushed, but rather something to be endured. Uh, now, this comes kind of against our nature uh, because I think that when it comes to the pains and hurts in our life, whether it's the big things like grief and mourning or the little things, the pains we see on TV, we, we try to move past it as quickly as we can, right? If we flip to the news and we see something bad, we, we quickly change the channel. Uh, when people ask us how we're doing after we've lost someone we love, we say, we're, we're doing good, but we're, we're just trying to move on, right? We, we like to leave the bad things in our life as quickly as possible in the rear view mirror. And yet some things in life, suffering included, are not to be rushed, but rather as Christians we endure our suffering. I think we see this in the psalm from start to finish. And, and here's what I mean. Uh, you probably noticed it in, in what we read. David, he often is praying within that psalm for deliverance and rescue. So it's not as though he wants to stay in the pain that he's in, but he also doesn't demand that God just snap his fingers and fix his problems now. He, he has the sense of enduring the pain that is in him, recognizing that maybe God is using this pain, this suffering, to teach him something or show him something or mold him into someone new. Rather than just get through it and miss out on the blessings that God might work in it, he patiently walks through it. Uh, I have a, a quote that I would like to show you from a, an author. You probably recognize the name, C.S. Lewis, famous author, faithful Christian. And let me read this to you. This is what C.S. Lewis said regarding our suffering. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. and He intends to come and live in it himself. 
Uh, what I liked about this quote is, is that it recognized that all of us expect little things to go wrong here and there in our lives, right? We are not under any illusions. We've been around for long enough knowing that there's a brokenness to the world and things will hurt. But when things start to get really bad, when God begins to tear down those walls in our lives, sometimes we, we begin to wonder what is going on. And, and yet what this reminds us of is that God is using those hurts, as, as big as they might be, to, to make us into the palace or the person that he longs for us to be and that we suffer with endurance because we know that God is living with us himself. Uh, any of you who have ever been through any sort of home renovation project know this, right? Whether it's been an addition or a, a bathroom or a kitchen remodel, two things you can count on. It will cost more and take longer than you ever expected, right? Or you were ever told in the beginning, unless detail did it, then it was right on price and right on time. <laughs> Uh, but for the rest of us, right, these things hurt. They take time and, and money, and yet we endure them knowing what the outcome will be, knowing that we'll have a new home to live in, uh, knowing that there's a purpose behind the pain. And so as Christians, we, we don't rush through our suffering as something merely to get done, but we endure it patiently knowing that God is, is working on us to build us into the palace that he longs us to be. So the first thing is we don't rush our suffering. Uh, the second thing is that we, we give our pain and our suffering to God. We take our hurts and all of the problems of this life and we place it into his hands. We don't hide anything from him because that would be silly to do anyway. God knows our feelings. And so as, as we lift up our prayers and our cries and our anger and give it to God, we don't have to feel embarrassed or ashamed for how we feel because God accepts and invites all of it. We, we heard uh, David do this in our psalm for today. He just gives all of his pain to God. This is what he says. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Right, those are some deep, intense, emotional wor words. Uh, David doesn't pray like this, right? He does not say, well, God, you know, things are a little off, so if you could get around to helping me when you have time. I mean, I, mean, I know I'm not too important, so, so once you help the really important people, maybe you could come and just give me a little hand, right? That's not David's prayer. He's like, I'm sinking here, God. The water is up to my neck. If you don't do something, I'm going to die. Lord, I have been calling out to you for so long, and you haven't answered me that my throat is dry. I've been looking for you, searching for you, intently looking in your direction, hoping to catch some glimpse. And yet I've been looking for you for so long without a sign that my, my eyes are beginning to fail me. David brings all of his feelings and he, he gives them to God. That's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed of, but we have a God who has, a, who has hands and a heart big enough to hold those feelings and all of those emotions and all of those prayers. So rather than bottling it up inside, we give it all to him. That's what's different about our suffering. We have someone we can bring our stuff to, a God big enough to receive it. Right, the third thing that we do that's different about us as Christians in the midst of our suffering is that we hold God to his word. Uh, we, we hold him to his promises. We remember and we recall what he has said and we bring all of that back to him. Uh, this is, is one of the things about us that when, when you first hear it, maybe you thought to yourself, that sounds a little presumptuous or arrogant or rude, right? To hold the almighty creator and redeemer to his word uh, like we're some impetuous children. But I, I think this act is one of the most faithful things that we can do. It's uh, something that, that David did himself in Psalm 69, 16. 
Uh, Let me explain. He said, answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy, turn to me. David is saying, Lord, you have said you are loving. (laughs) I've seen you love other people. Your, Your history is full of these loving acts you've promised to be loving over and over and over again. Now, Lord, show that love to me. Keep your word to me. Show me your love. Lord, you've said you're merciful. I've seen you be merciful to other people. You've, you've promised that mercy time and time again. Now, now give me some mercy too. He's holding God to his word. He's recalling and remembering God's promises and then lifting that up to the Lord. This uh, is something that I think kids are actually really good at. Uh, parents, maybe you know what I mean, right? Uh, maybe parents, you've done this. You, you, maybe you told your kids something like, uh, uh, okay, kids, if you get straight A's for the whole year, we'll go to the amusement park. We'll go to Six Flags, right? And you're kind of hoping in the back of your mind that they'll forget, like a year is a long time, and you're thinking to yourself, I do not want to go to Six Flags, but if it even works for a month or two to get them motivated, maybe it's worth it, right? But kids have a, a, a good memory, right? And they're good at holding mom and dad to their word. Pretty soon they'll be saying, Mom, Dad, you said, you said if I, if I got straight A's that we could go to the amusement park. You said if we were quiet this whole car ride that you would stop and get ice cream, Mom, Dad, right? And... And in our prayers, I think that's what we do. As God's children, we lift up those prayers to our Father. We hold God to his word. We say, God, you said, you said you were loving. You said you were merciful. And and that is not arrogant or rude or impetuous. That is an act of faith to trust so much in what God has said, to to be able to lift those promises and turn them back to God. That That is an act of faith. And the truth is that we have a God who is faithful and just and will hear those prayers and will act on our behalf. So as people of faith, as as Christian children, we hold God to his word. We remember and we recall his promises. Uh, The last thing I think that really sets us apart as Christian people, what, what makes us more unique than anything else, is that through the midst of our suffering, through the the darkest of dark times, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, I I say this, this is so important for a couple reasons. Uh, First of all, because I think you all know this, you've, you've learned from experience, that when you're going through something, whether it's big or small, we have a, a tendency to fixate on that thing, right? So if it's a loss of a loved one, it's so easy to fixate on the grief and the mourning and the sadness. And, and, and if it's something less minor too, right, maybe it's just the news you turn on that kind of angers you, you tend to fixate on it and get consumed by it. And, and that's so easy to you, I, I think it's only natural, but God calls us to another way, a better way, a more hope-filled way, a a joyous way. He calls us not to fixate on the problem, but to fixate on him and his cross. He's constantly calling us to to look up and to look to him, to to look at what he's done and what he will do. Uh, David, in our psalm, did this, I think, wonderfully and beautifully today. Now, maybe you're surprised by that because you recognize, well, David didn't know Jesus, hadn't met him, maybe had never even heard the name. How could David look to Jesus? But I think he was looking forward. He was remembering God's promise of a Messiah, and he was fixing his eyes on that day of restoration when the Messiah, the chosen one, would come and right every wrong and wipe away every tear. And so this is what David writes, looking forward to Jesus. He says, for God will save Zion and will rebuild the cities of Judah. And then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. David is look for, looking forward to that great and glorious day of restoration and renewal. And, and as Christian people today, we do the same. We fix our eyes on Jesus, not on the problems of this world, but 
But we look backwards to the cross to give us certainty for today, to know that God loves us and that he always will. We look forward, just like David, to the, to the day of Christ's return. Throughout our suffering, we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him scorned the shame of the cross and seated himself at the right hand of the Father. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned or told you before uh, about my grandmother, uh, my, my dad's mom. Uh, I think I've told you before that she grew up uh, in the 1920s and 30s, uh, in early 40s, in Eastern Europe, in an area of Euro- uh, Europe that during World War II that was kind of battled between, uh, there's a tug of war going on between Germany and, and Russia fighting for control of of her town. I think I've told you before that what happened at the end of that is that she was sent away uh, by the Russians to a, a concentration camp, a work camp, where basically she served for a few years during the war and after uh, as slave labor. Um, my grandma had a lot of stories from that time in her life, and as a, a young boy growing up, I used to love to hear those stories. I, I, I couldn't get enough of them. I've written some of them down, uh, but there's one that stands out to me today. Um, it was one when she told it to me that I hadn't heard before. You know how grandmas are, right? Like some of these stories you hear over and over again, and okay, grandma. Uh, but this one, I, I asked for a story one day when she was babysitting us in the summer, and she told me a new one that I hadn't heard before. And when she said it, I don't know if this is true or not, it made me feel good. She said she had never shared it before because she was afraid of what people would think. But she said that one day uh, in this camp that she was in, after I'm sure a long day, maybe a long few years of serving, uh, that she, she, she began to pray. She sat down on the ground and she looked up at the night sky and she began to pray to God. And as she was praying, something amazing happened that she couldn't explain to me even all those years later. She said she looked up in the sky and as she looked at the stars, she noticed that the stars began to, to move and, and began to form a shape and, and that as she looked up in the sky, there was this cross coming at her from the stars that almost seemed to be descending. And she hadn't shared it with anyone because she thought it sounded crazy, but she told me that day. And I, I don't know if what she saw was real. I don't know if it was a result of exhaustion or she had something funny to eat that night or if God actually gave her a sign like that of her presence. I don't know, but I think the point is that it doesn't matter <laughs> That through that time, the, the, the deepest suffering of her life, she was able to look and see Jesus, that she had fixed her eyes on the cross, and that even 50 years after the fact, as a, a 10-year-old boy, me as a 10-year-old boy in 1996, and her telling this story, that she could look back 50 years later and still see Jesus in the midst of that suffering, that she didn't look back with anger or frustration or doubt about where God had been, but that, but that she was able to remember that time, seeing that Jesus was there through it all. She had fixed her eyes on Christ. And brothers and sisters, I pray that we would too. I pray that when it comes to our suffering, that, that we wouldn't rush it, but that we would endure with, with patience, trusting that God is fashioning us into that palace he longs to dwell in. I, I pray that, that we would give our hurts and our pains to God, that we, that we would let him take care of, of all that we suffer through, that we would hold him to his word and, and recall and remember his promises, and then that we would look to him throughout it all. In Jesus' name, amen.